My client was one of the competitors and he was seriously involved in the illegal tobacco trade. He was in a truck that was being driven with a very large amount of illegal tobacco and the cops had been tipped off, the corrupt cops. They come, they, you know, they're pretending to be cops. They're in uniform, show their badge, everything. And they told my client to just leave. And they then seized all of the tobacco, you know, purportedly a lawful seizure. But instead of um, taking it back to the police station and entering it in as an exhibit, they uh, they took it to my client's competitor, okay, the criminal that they were working for. And what happened was, unfortunately, because my client is from the Lebanese community as well, that night he was able to locate the corrupt cop, went round to his house, boys went round to his house, yep. went with the, a gun um, and told him basically that he would have to change allegiances. And yep, from the yep, next yep. day, that corrupt cop started working for my client. Well, Storm, welcome back, everyone. Episode six of The Search. I'm Spanian. This is my podcast. Let's oge. Today, we've got a special guest, eh? Someone a bit different. He's a criminal defense lawyer. Represented people facing charges across a whole range of offenses, a lot of high-profile cases. He's got his own law firm. Never lost a murder trial. Legit? Legit. Never lost a murder trial? Wow. His name's Nick Hanna. Thank you for joining me, brother. Thank you for having us. Sweet, sweet. All right. Let's go. How how'd you get into this? Was this always what you wanted to do when you were young? Criminal defense lawyer? Because me, like, personally, like I say, if people, you, when you're a kid, you never think, I want to be a criminal defense lawyer. Not to say, I'm not just trying to say and try to bag you or nothing, but I'm just <laughs> saying, like, that's not a thing that you think that you're going to be, you know what I mean? How'd that come about? I think there probably are some people that want to be criminal lawyers from when they're in kindergarten, probably from watching TV shows. Oh, but I, I, I definitely wasn't that yeah, person. Yeah, 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 yeah. And when I was at law school, yeah, I didn't have any sort of dream of being a criminal lawyer. Yeah. I knew what I didn't want to be though. Like my background was more in community-based work. All right. And I was more interested in sort of helping out people who were, let's say, disadvantaged or lacking in power as opposed to sort of oh, helping the powerful. And so I knew I didn't want to be a corporate lawyer. Yep, yep. Didn't want to be representing banks or insurance companies or yeah, yeah. multinational corporations stuck in an office all day. Um, oh, so just straight off the bat, yeah. see, but like... You'd, you'd, you'd think that I have um, a knowledge in this, spending my life in jail, but they, they just pointed something out specific there. There's different types of lawyers. Absolutely. So you're criminal defense lawyers in people in the streets doing crime as opposed to business people and tax stuff. Yeah, so in theory, a lawyer can take on any kind of case. There's yeah. no sort of special degree that you have to do if you want to be a criminal lawyer. Yeah, yeah. But people generally start in an area of law and then stick with it because that's the area of law in which they get experience, they become better at it, and then- Most interested. They're most interested, yeah. and they'll be at firms that specialize in that area. Oh, yeah. yeah so nice. it's, it's generally the case for, for all areas, law, areas of law. And for me, yes, I'm a criminal lawyer. I have branched out in the last five, six years. I do some other practice areas, but still crime is my focus. Yeah, yeah, mad. So you went to law school. How long did that go for? Took me a while. Um, it's yeah, normally supposed yeah. to go for about four or five years, depending yeah. on if you do like a straight law it's degree university, or combined right? university. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, it took me about five years because I took off a year in the middle of my degree to do yeah. some other things. Um, but when I finished, I got my first job at a law firm, which was a criminal law firm. Yeah. And 
again, I hadn't worked a day in a criminal law firm before that, but I fell in love with it really quickly. I was working for this very colourful character. Yeah, yeah. He had very interesting cases, a lot of high-profile matters, um, serious bikey matters. Yep. Met a lot of, you know, Lebanese crime families, yeah, all that yeah. sort of stuff, and, yeah, and really appealed to me. Uh, so I stuck with it. And after a few years, I started my own firm with my now business partner, Abbasuki. Yep. And uh, that was 11 years ago. It was still going strong. Yeah, hectic. Well, it does sound interesting, eh? It's like a day-to-day -day in your work would be like TV shows, stuff that TV shows are made from. Yeah. Not day-to-day. -day. I don't mean that you're in there doing all like crazy stuff, but like the stuff you would be part of and you would see in the people you deal with are people that like shows could be made of. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that, and I think that's one of the features that attracts most criminal lawyers to it. Or yeah. It's certainly a big part. So for me, there's probably three or four main aspects of criminal law that drew me to it to begin with and then and have kept me practicing in criminal law and that would be the first one we never have yeah. a boring day yeah, yeah, yeah every case is interesting Hopefully. even a boring case for us would be really interesting to the to the average person yeah 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 and you know we're meeting people from all walks of life all sorts of backgrounds uh they have problems of every kind you can think of mm -hmm. um and I guess another thing that's interesting about it is the nature of the actual work. So if you're a corporate lawyer, you're more likely to be spending most of your time in the office, mm. um, in meetings, drafting statements, correspondence. Whereas if you're a criminal law, we're, we're in the trenches more. So yeah. we go to court every day. We get to argue a lot more. Yeah. So in that respect, it's a lot more so interesting you the Downing as well. Centre, 8.30 every morning. Downing Centre, Sentry. I was there this yeah, morning, yeah, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me understand like, something of my interest, bro. Just dealing like, obviously, my whole life dealing with like, the term lawyer, but there's, is there a term lawyer or is it solicitor? And then what? Do, there's can you there's just, both, yeah. There's, yeah. Are there different things? Uh, okay, so there is lawyer, which is the, the general category. The general, and yeah. then under that general category, you have solicitors and you have barristers. Yeah. And barristers are the people that wear the, the black robes and the white wigs that yeah. you see in court. And they do more of the advocacy. And solicitors still do advocacy, but we... Um, also, we're doing a, a lot more of the preparation. Behind the scenes stuff. Behind the scenes yeah. stuff. Preparing matters for hearing, for trial, for yeah. sentence, dealing with the clients directly. Barristers yeah. generally don't deal with clients directly. Yeah. That's what I found, like going to court, say when I'm in um, local court or it's just hearings or serving of the brief, I'll always have solicitors. Um, they'd be talking to me. They'd represent me. But in trial, it would always be a barrister. A solicitor's not allowed to represent you in trial? or They can and some do. And some do, yeah. But it's not ideal, mainly because... Solicitors, again, depending on the nature of your practice, but for me, for yep. example, I run a law firm. I've got people I need to manage. I've got at any one time I might have 50 cases yep. running. When you're running a trial, that's your only case. Yep. That must be the in, your entire that, focus. It's your life, yeah, that, for that period of time. And so every other matter gets neglected. Your mm. staff get neglected. It's just not a practical yeah, way yeah. To, to operate a business. Yeah. But there are solicitors who have a different model and they're solicitor advocates and that's their thing. They appear oh, in trials and they can do that because their business is set up a different way. Oh, yeah, nice. So, nice. yeah, it really just depends on the person. But generally speaking, in probably 95, at least 95% of trials, I'd say, you'd have a barrister, a barrister representing yeah. the accused and not a solicitor. Another thing, bro. What, like, so there's that side of it, barristers, solicitors, prosecutors, crown prosecutors. Is it this? Is it like you, you all go to law school together yep. and then you just choose what side you're on or are, are prosecutors police officers that... Do you have, like, how does that work? Yeah, okay. No, good question. So yeah. there's, there's two kinds of prosecutors, essentially. Yeah. Uh, we're dealing with, like, ordinary criminal matters. So you've got police prosecutors who mm -hmm. are police officers. 
sergeants who've done some sort of criminal law training, yep. they generally don't have law degrees, although some do, yep. um, and they're generally not admitted as lawyers. And they deal with all of the matters that are in the local court. So yep. the summary matters, okay, all the matters that are being dealt with summarily. So yep. you're less serious crimes. Yep. Um, then you've got the what's called the Office of the Director of Public Prosecutions and the, the lawyers who work there, they're solicitors like me, yep. but they're working for the state in, a, in their capacity as prosecutors. And so right, they yep. deal with the more serious matters. So serious drug dealing, yeah. kidnapping, shootings, murders. And they'll be the assault. ones on the other side during a trial. Correct. Oh, so right. the, same with us. You'll generally have a solicitor and, yep. and a barrister. So for both sides, we'll have a solicitor and a barrister. And First, the police prosecutor and the crown, yeah, like that. Yeah, yep. yeah, that, yeah. I presume that, and they got nothing to do with police, really. They're just representatives of them. Uh, so the DPP are not representatives of the police. They're yep. a separate entity. In theory, they're independent, um, but often they'll get instructions or they'll get, um, yeah, they'll have to consult police to make certain decisions. And the police are the ones that do all the sort of behind the scenes yep, work yep, yep. and do and, and and conduct the investigation and provide the evidence. Yeah. But sorry to get boring here. I'm sorry no, no. if it's boring. This is like this is learning for me. This is why I'm picking his brain, right? Um, I've never had this opportunity before. Sure. QC. Okay. What is it? Queen's Council. What Queen's are they? Council. Yeah. So they are barristers. Yeah. Um, we now call them senior council, although that is that people who now become silk. So silk is sort of a colloquial expression that refers to both senior council and queen's council and they're sort of like the, the very senior barristers yeah. okay and oh. they're, they're they're chosen by a by a committee yeah. um and judges other senior barristers solicitors are consulted to decide who's sort of like the creme de la creme we're going to appoint as being senior yeah. counsel all right and the basic difference for, for clients is that they charge a lot more <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> i gotta imagine um all right bah Someone told me you used to be a rapper. What's going on there? I was hoping it's that didn't come up. <laughs> <laughs> no, my manager said, right, he was a rapper before and he was a good rapper. Uh, very long time ago. But you rapped? So, yeah. yeah, I rapped. Yeah, yeah. How'd so that I, come about? Like, how old were you? Uh, I started getting into hip-hop when I was in high school. So I would yep. have been 14, 15. Started off DJing. Oh, sick. And then producing beats and emceeing. And then I kept doing that until I was about 19, yep. 20. Um and then you thought, this is rubbish, I'm sacking, I'm doing something proper. <laughs> no, I just think I was probably so horrible at it. I, I realized really? the, the writing was on the wall and I needed to do something oh, else. Because no, they, they genuinely, I'm not Jane up, they would genuinely say, no, he was actually good. And then somebody else said, no, he was actually mad. So I don't know, maybe you're being hard on yourself. Uh, yeah, maybe it depends on who you ask. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. All right, let me ask you something, bro. This, this is like important knowledge, all right? Dealing with coppers in the streets. Mm -hmm. Let me, t let me give you this situation, right? Mm -hmm. No, you're not under suspicion for a crime. The coppers are out just doing their patrols, trying to get their numbers up. And maybe you're in a drug area. Maybe you're in, which is nearly every area in Sydney, according to them. But maybe whatever the area is. You're going to the shop, nothing, no pretext. Coppers come up to you. What are you doing? What's your name? You know, they come up with the verbals. Like, you know what I find about coppers, right? And I'm not, I'm not against police. Right, they have their place in society. Imagine society without police. Like, relax, you'll be dead. Look, for legit, I'm not trying to be funny here. They have their place. I'm not saying that, but I swear by the way people often ask me, what's the difference between screws in, inside and coppers? All right, and they, they like, people are interested in that. Are they the same? And like, who's uh, like, what's worse, this and that? I said, listen, some ways screws are worse, some ways coppers are worse. You know what I find with coppers? They're just like the ultimate tricksters. 
It's like they're coming. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. They come to you and every single thing they say to you is like a verbal. It's like they've got this, they've been taught like this psychology of how to trick you in and make it even as simple as a hello. It's somehow a trick, but now when they talk to me, I'm like this and that. But anyway, I'll stop carrying on about that. But anyway, no, it's, just, it's, it's actually interesting. I've never really bro, thought about that difference. But everything they say, it's like they're just trying to like do something to you. Like even a simple hello, it's like, yeah. And it's like, what are you doing? And it's just like, bro, I don't know. Maybe I'm just paranoid. But I just no, feel I, like I'm being fully manipulated. Even though when they smile at me, it's like, don't arrest me. I think if you speak to the average criminal defense lawyer, they will share that opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without any doubt. I, I mean, swear police, they've been taught it. I swear it's part of their training because they all talk the same. It's legit. And in fact, many of the safeguards that we have in force in New South Wales in relation to police powers were brought into force because there was just rampant dishonesty from police officers. Because I've copped that. <laughs> I'm all, oh, yeah. You'd know better than me, but right. they, they would... They would lie at every single stage of the process and that's why we needed to for example have make sure that there are requirements that admissions are recorded yeah right because cops would verbal people they would yeah. make admissions up yeah okay that's why we have all sorts of requirements that provide transparency because the system understands that police often do lie of course not all the time and no, i of agree with what you said yeah. and and certainly there are i deal with many honest police officers yeah, yeah. but there's also a very large number that are dishonest on a routine basis yeah, yeah. and they and it actually advances their interest that is they are able to arrest and then have convicted more people yeah. if they do that okay whereas for comparing them to screws or prison officers yeah. um my biggest problem with prison officers is more that they're apathetic that is they don't they just don't really care so yeah, when you're dealing with them you're trying to get someone moved for a medical appointment or yeah, yeah, facilitate yeah. a visit or something. They won't, re they, I mean, they might be dishonest sometimes, but it's more just that they don't care and they don't need to explain themselves to you. Whereas police are actually required to follow different procedures. Yeah. And in order to get around that, the problem is generally dishonesty. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're pretty right about the screws. They just don't care. They're just like, hey, 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 mate, like that to everything. <laughs> it's like, wow, like, serious, like, look. Uh, I'll come look at you for anyway. Well, um, I've got but, it. Oh, sorry. I, I, if you want, I can tell you a recent example that go, was go, just, go, I yeah. think many people would find shocking. Yeah. So I've got a client who's in custody. He's on remand. So his bail refused waiting to be, he's waiting to be sentenced. He's pleaded guilty and he's waiting to be sentenced. Yep. Drug importation matter, but not, not huge. Yep. Fairly small amount that he just ordered online off the, yep. off the dark web. And um, he's got some very serious medical issues. Yep. He has very serious spinal injuries. And as a result, he's had to see a spinal, um, an orthopedic surgeon yeah. for most of his life. And we need to get a report from an orthopedic surgeon uh, in order to, um, to run his sentence proceedings because the court needs to know, well, what's his current situation? What treatment's required? Mm -hmm. How well a corrective service is going to be able to facilitate that yeah. treatment whilst he's serving a sentence? And you probably would be aware of this. During COVID the conditions in our prisons have just gone downhill mm. significantly and it's been very difficult to facilitate any sort of medical visits. For starters, doctors won't go to jails. Most oh, doctors legit. won't go to jails because they're worried about getting COVID because oh. COVID was rampant there. There were so yeah. many outbreaks. Um, also, there's it's, um, prison staff are stretched. 
Um, the jails are short-staffed and so there's less ability to move people and take mm -hmm. them to doctors. Anyway, um, for that reason, we couldn't facilitate an appointment during with this orthopedic surgeon during the lockdown. And the, mat and the case had to be adjourned. He's waiting to be sentenced, but the case had to be adjourned for several months yep. so that we'd wait for the lockdown to be finished. Now the lockdown's finished, we had an appointment booked and he was going to go see his surgeon. The surgeon's based at Bankstown Hospital. Well, um, this client was based at a particular... Um, correctional centre out in the country, yep. about a four-hour drive from here. And we'd arranged it all. had been told it was all approved. The doctor was waiting for him. They bring him to Silverwater, to the MRRC. Yep. And then it was only when he arrives at the MRRC, they say, well, oh, no, nah, look, sorry, miscommunication with the other jail. We can't facilitate this. No way. And we'd literally been waiting for about four months yeah, yeah, yeah. for this appointment. And he can't be sentenced until it happens. And so... I get on the phone with them and I said, well, you know, we've still got three days before the appointment. Can't you facilitate it? Mm. And they said, oh, no, look, sorry, just can't be done. Yep. And so we had to cancel the appointment and his matter is now going to be adjourned for perhaps six, another... Well, and he got sent back to his jail? He got sent to another jail. Oh, he's spewing. Spewing, yes. He'd so have been nice and cosy. Yeah. yeah, that's the worst. He'd the worst part about time. jail is transit. It's the worst. He'd have been spewing. <laughs> and especially when you've got serious spinal yeah, conditions yeah, yeah, that make yeah, it even yeah. more uncomfortable and it's yeah. more difficult to get settled. And so now his matter's probably going to be adjourned for another five months just for this reason. Yeah, and they just didn't care in the yeah, slightest. They don't care. They don't care. They're just, yeah, they're immune to everything, bro. But let me ask you, lad, like I was going to say before, dealing with these police, like I said, no, no, no pretext, no nothing. What are your rights? Because they come up and they say, they'll verbal, right? They'll say, you have to do this, you have to do that. Like they'll, they'll just tell you anything. And you know, we see on TV, like in, you know, YouTubers in America and they pull the whole, I'm a, you know, I just want to know to what extent you have to identify yourself and you don't like, because I imagine that, well, mine's a bit of a different circumstance because I got FPO, we'll get into that. But I don't know if even without that, some of my mates, if they went up to, if the copper said, what are you doing? What's your name? Where do you live? And they said, I'm not telling you nothing and just started walking. The cop would be like, you're going to get arrested. Yeah. So the police do have some powers to require people to identify themselves. There are some limits on those powers. Mm -hmm. And um, perhaps if I can set up what the powers are first and then, yep. and then deal with yep. the example that you've given me. So... The police have the power to stop people if they have a reasonable suspicion that um, they have been uh, that they're in possession of drugs or that they've got something um, uh, stolen on them or a dangerous implement, and they can search them in those circumstances. It has to be a reasonable suspicion, which means they have to suspect it, but that suspicion needs to be reasonable. It means there needs to be some objective. Yeah. sort of um, factors which yeah. exactly so for example the example uh, the example that you gave was someone coming out of or someone's walking in an area that's um, yep. known for being uh, used drug for area. drug yep. drug supply well they would almost always rely on that as one of their justifications for and searching is, is that a justification it can be so it depends on the circumstances so in order to get like typical circumstances which would go to a reasonable suspicion would be the area that you're in mm -hmm. The time of the day you know is it at night it makes it generally speaking that makes the suspicion more reasonable yeah. um what are your what, what are the police observations of you so yeah. if you're just walking down the street minding your own business it's a much more difficult argument for the police than if you are 
driving a car, stopping every 50 metres, someone jumps in for yeah, 30 yeah, seconds yeah. and then jumps out, you know. So it depends yeah. on what the circumstances are. And it's also once the police stop you and then start speaking with you, they will um, they will then usually rely on their observations of you. So you'll all, almost always we see in a case like this where they've done a search and they want to justify the search, they'll say, as I was speaking with the accused, I noticed that he was sweating profusely and looked really nervous. You know, so, so pretty much if they just chuck the verbal that it's a drug area, which is so subjective. What area in Sydney isn't a drug area? What <laughs> isn't? You can name the nicest area and they will have arrests on record for ecstasy and cocaine. Like, what isn't a drug area? So if they pull that stunt and then they pull the stunt where, through my observations, he seemed nervous, which, how can you disprove that? If they say it, it goes. You put them two together, it pretty much just gives them the ultimate power. It's very difficult to challenge it. Yeah. Um, but... There are still many cases where we are successful in yeah. challenging them. And it might be, for example, because the police just stuff up. Like, yeah. for example, um, one officer says, oh, yeah, the reason why we stopped him was that it was a known drug area. And yeah. then the other officer says, oh, the reason that I stopped him was because um, I saw this known... Uh, I saw I saw what looked to be a firearm protruding from his backpack. You know what I mean? It's a <laughs> yeah. completely different explanation. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, then you're going to have a pretty good challenge to, yeah. to argue that that search was unlawful. And if you yeah. argue, if you successfully argue that the search is unlawful, the evidence that they obtain from that search can often be excluded. Yeah, yeah. All right, sweet. So that, that, that applies to like identifying yourself, even searching you. So for those reasons, they can search us. We can't pull the whole get a warrant. Yeah, so that, okay, so um, if the police s decide to search you, it may well be that that search is unlawful, yep. but the time to have that argument is not when you're yeah, being searched, yeah, yeah. okay? Yeah. So my advice to be my advice to anyone who is being searched is to not consent but to not resist. Yep. Okay? So what do I mean by that? Not consent means um, if the police ask you, oh, can we search you? You don't say, "Oh, yeah, sure, go for it." Yeah, yeah. Why? Because if the search later is appears to be unlawful you don't have um in, in, the practical effect is you're not going to be able to actually challenge the search because even if it was unlawful you, you made it lawful yeah, by yeah, consenting yeah 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 right mm -hmm. so you should consent to the search and you shouldn't resist because well resisting nearly always fails the cops yeah. are always going to overpower you and it's just going to make things worse you can end up with more serious charges such as resisting arrest assault police of I've had some successful resists in my time, <laughs> but yeah, we won't get into that. <laughs> I did say nearly all, not, yeah, not nearly all. Always. <laughs> I spent um, my whole jail career as an SKP because of a uh, because of a police resistance. But yeah, um, so you got E class O, bro. I got an E class O. I didn't know what E class O was. Sixteen years old in McDonald's at King's Cross had warrants out. Copper grabbed me on the shoulder. He grabbed me. He, I was in his custody. All right, I sure. admit it. Grab me on the shoulder, he says, Anthony, you got warrants out, you're under arrest, blah, blah, blah. He let go of me for a second. I mm -hmm. ran off. I spent the next however many years of my life in jail as a maximum security inmate because of that one second. So I wasn't, yeah, anyway, we won't get into that rubbish, stupidest thing. Like, um, but all right. All of this is put to the side if you have an FPO. I have strong opinions on an FPO. I have an FPO. Um, Tell me, brother, what's going on with the FBOs, bruh? <laughs> how? How did they do it? What's going on? I, when you say how did they do it, you mean how did they get away with implementing that? How did they pull them? that stunt, bro? <laughs> how did they just pull that stunt? Like, what's your opinions on FBOs, bro? Are they good? I'm not a fan. Yeah. <laughs> I think anyone who cares about 
basic civil rights wouldn't be a fan of FPOs. That's right. Um, they represent the most, so some of the most sweeping powers that have ever been given to police. Because, lad, I, I made a video on FPOs because I got an FPO. Right. And when I made this video, I'm trying to tell people, I'm saying, do you know what FPOs mean for you as public? Like, do you understand what they've done? And they can do to anybody they don't like, essentially. Because you don't even have to have a criminal record. You don't have to do anything to justify their FPO. They just give it to people. Most of my clients who have FPOs have never been charged with any firearm offences. Including the me. Majority. There you go, yeah. There you go. And that's one of the criticisms. I mean, there's many criticisms I can... Yeah. Do you want, I can you go, bro, go hard. Yeah, okay. so, what are you here for? All right, so I guess the first one is that they applied... They can be... Um, made in relation to anyone. Like most people, when they hear of a firearms prohibition order, they would think, oh yeah, this, is, this makes a lot of sense. You know, We don't want bad people having access to, to firearms yep. and so we should stop them from being allowed to get firearms. No, an FBO has nothing to do with that. Those it laws really have always it. been in place, yeah, right? Yeah. We, the police have always had the power to stop someone being um, a license to hold a firearm yep. when, when they have criminal convictions or any other reason. This FPOs are all about giving police draconian search powers, mm -hmm. and um, FPOs are often made in relation to people that have zero history of any criminal offences. It might simply be the fact that it's the partner yeah. of someone who has a criminal record, or friend, or friend, yeah, someone who associates with them, yeah. or your uncle was in a gang, or something like that. And actually, there's a case that was heard so there was a woman who challenged the making of an fpo yep. in relation to her she had zero criminal history yep. she'd never been alleged to have been in possession of any firearms um and there was um uh i think it was her partner at the time was someone who had a criminal record mm -hmm. And as a result of that, the FPO was made in relation to her. She challenged it. It was accepted by the police. She'd yep. never been in any trouble with the police. No allegations made against her, but they upheld the FPO. Yeah. And why does that matter? Well, that comes to, I guess, the second criticism because the powers that police have under FPOs are just insane. I explain them, please. So an FPO, if someone's the subject of an FPO, the police have the right to search them practically whenever to search any vehicle that they're occupying and to search any premises in which they are. And not that you own or you rent if you step foot in it. That's right. It doesn't have to be your car. Yes. It doesn't need to be your apartment. Police have the right to do it. And um, there's very little limit on that. So ordinarily, as we'll saying before if you want to search somebody there's got to be a reasonable suspicion fpos there's no requirement for reasonable suspicion the law is somewhat un unclear there have been two supreme court decisions where there have been um, slightly different opi uh, opinions expressed as to the extent to which police are limited yeah. in their ability to search but um uh, generally speaking police take the view that if you're the subject of an fpo they can search you whenever they want yeah Okay, technically it's what's sort of reasonably required, but they've got to be searching you for firearms. Yeah. That's clear. Um, but, but they don't. But they don't. Like, I'll, I'll tell you, like, just to jump it into use, like what he's saying here, for example, I have an FPO, is that if I step foot in your house, if I step foot in your fish and chip shop, 
if I step foot in your car, they will rip it to shreds. And you will be held accountable for anything they find in your... By the way, don't think that, oh, they, we just didn't find the gun, that's it. You'll be held accountable. And like, bro, like, I've been... You see how you say they're supposed to be searching for guns, right? That makes sense. But like, I'm telling you, legit, on my mum's life, this happened. This just four weeks ago. I'm training in a pair of footy shorts. In These blokes, like... These blokes search in my socks. I'm trying in the middle of a park in a pair of footy shorts. That's it. Doing dips. These blokes see me and that's it. Oh, he has an FBO. It's like it's like they think they have no um, like decision. It's like automatic pilot. If they see me, it's like they run at me. You've got an FPO. I say, all right, bro. Like, what do you think I'm doing? Yeah, I've got my gun. So they ask me, you got gun? God, it's so many guns on me. Look, look. In my armpits, in my bum hole. Like, I just G them up. But these blokes search in my socks. Like it's an FPO. Like what are you trying to find in my socks? So it's clear that they don't just search for guns. They're just hammering you. Yeah. And well, that's, that's the practical reality. Yeah. The legislation says that it's supposed to be searching um, uh, for firearms. Yeah. But in reality, that's not what happened. In fact, they did a... I think the ombudsman did a, did a review of the FPO yeah. um, scheme about five years ago. And it was found that in at least 14% of cases, yep. police were just openly said that, yeah, we weren't searching for firearms. That's okay, so they even yeah. just admitted it, right? Um, more so in, it was only in uh, 2% of searches that police ever found any firearm, firearm part or ammunition. So in yep. 98% of the searches, and there were thousands yep. of them, no, no firearm, firearm part of And I can guarantee found. out of that 2%, 95% of that was a bullet or exactly. a bullet shell. Yeah, yeah. And they just count that. Well, that's, they count that as firearm. Yeah. And it's important because possessing ammunition is a fine only offense. You know, yeah. obviously it's a crime and a crime for good reason, but yeah. it's not a serious crime. And so to um, undermine people's basic rights yeah. um, just to find, you know, a bullet yeah. is pretty outrageous. Yeah, 100%. Another problem is that they are permanent in the sense that there's no sort of expiry date. Yeah. They last until the police revoke them and yeah. that's almost never. Yeah, um, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Because people say, oh, like, it's, but it takes this. And I'm saying, like, it don't matter how, when they put it through, they just put it through. A copper just puts it through and it goes to another boss copper and he just signs off on it. It's not like he's going to be knocking the other coppers back. They're all best friends and... You know what I mean? Like, if a copper puts it on you, the boss copper's signing it. You know what I mean? And like he said before, for any reason at all, they'll put it on you. So whatever apparent expiry date they may have, on that day, they just write a piece of paper again, you cop it again. I've had mine for like, I think it's been four and a half years. Wow. They At the start, they were smashing my house, uh, my uh, one of my ex-partner's houses where I live. They were smashing it. They were full smashing it. They does pulled house, up on does that. Does your house still get searched? No, no, no. My house, uh, they've pulled up on searching my house. Oh, I haven't had my house searched. They'll probably search it now because I'm saying, but don't remind <laughs> you. Or I'm not trying to remind you. They haven't searched my, but they know they're starting to click on. Like, like, does it look like I'm a criminal? Look at me, I'm a superstar. But anyway, um, <laughs> but like they were smashing my house. They haven't smashed my house actually for a couple of years. Right. But if they see me, it's like they run at me. If they, it, It's only driving behind the car. Like, I was complaining to my manager like a couple months ago. I was getting searched sometimes twice a day. And I even pulled this cop up in Maccas and I go, bro, like, what's the extent? Like, you, 
I got searched about eight hours ago. You're going to do it again? He goes, yeah, well, you got FPO. Like, I'm talking now periods of my life where I was getting searched twice a day. Wow. Yeah, just because they see me for no other reason. Um, and as, as shocking as that might be to the people watching this, that's, yeah. that's normal. It is. Oh, no, no. Half the people watching this will be like, well, Spanian, you know, you've done crimes in the past, so haha, you deserve it. That's how they know about the people watching. But that, that's, uh, yeah. that's a good yeah. example of what's wrong with the FPO scheme yeah. because, again, these are many, many people who have FPOs have no criminal record or at least yeah. they have no record in relation to firearms. Like me. And it could be using the example, for example, using the example of the woman who was in a relationship with someone who had a history yeah well what about 15 years later when she's separated from him yeah she's still someone with no criminal record no allegation of ever having guns because then there's no unless appeal the police process, right? unless the police revoke it yeah it's still going to apply okay so in terms of there there are limited review there's a limited review process um you first make an application for an internal review to the commissioner of police, and we all know how that's going to go. The same yep. police that it's made the, same the ones FBO they gave it to exactly. Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe I was wrong. Okay, um, <laughs> true. Eh? Actually, I shouldn't say that because yeah. we we have made a couple of internal review applications that have been successful. Oh, so yeah, nice. I shouldn't do myself out of work. But yeah, we, yep. we 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 have had some success, but generally speaking, no. And if you go down on the internal review, you've then got to apply to the tribunal. And that's when they will um, hear arguments from the police and hear arguments on your behalf. And it's supposed to be independent, but, and, and sorry, it is independent, but the decisions have not been very favorable so yeah. far. And like I said, there was this woman who was the partner of back. someone. Yeah. She got knocked back. She reviewed, she got knocked yeah. back. So if she got knocked back, then. What chance has anybody else yeah, got? Exactly. Right. Yeah. But let me ask you, lad, like, What's the, 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 your perception and, and the law's perception? Because you know how everyone, when we're talking about child molesters, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's reality or not, but the public's perception is that child molesters get away with it. Like somebody can rob something and get a certain amount of time and somebody could be a child molester and get less. What's the expected like sentencing? Like what's the hierarchy? Like what's the worst of the worst? Murder. Murder, yeah. terrorism. Terrorism and murder. Yeah, so I think I guess it depends on how you want to look at it, but yeah. the hierarchy would generally be indicated by the maximum penalty yeah. that Parliament has prescribed murder, for murder, terrorism. Offense. Yeah, so there's murder, terrorism. A lot of very serious drug offences will get you really long sentences as yeah. well, like I'm talking... Yeah, in the 20s, eh? in the 20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has to be very serious, and yep. generally when you've got a record. And it'd be, that's, that's mostly the production or large importation of it. Large-scale eh? importation yeah. and manufacturers, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We have kidnappings, shootings, that sort of stuff yep. will be, would still be considered really serious. So, so violence would... Violence is worse than sexual crimes? No, not necessarily not at all. Necessarily, no, yeah. so... Perhaps I can answer it this way. I yep. think that, yes, I agree. In my experience, there's definitely a public perception that sexual offenders, especially child sexual offenders, yeah. get off light. And I think that in the past, that probably was true. Yep. Sentences were very lenient historically for sexual assault matters involving children. Yep. But that has changed a lot in, in recent years. And Oh, has it? It has, oh, yeah. Nice. So the penalties have increased significantly. And also what, what used to happen was that... Um, if you were charged with a historical child sexual offence, so let's say it was, it's alleged that 
Joe Blow sexually assaulted his niece in the 70s. Um, He would have to be charged with the offence that was applicable at that time. Yeah. And often that fence would would have good um, behaviour bond. Well, (laughs) not a good behaviour bond, but it would the the penalties were a lot were a lot um, lighter. And when being sentenced in um, uh, currently, the court would have to look at what they call sort of sentencing patterns or sentencing trends at the time, and they were very light. But they've got rid of all that now. So when people go in to be sentenced for child sexual offence matters whether they're historical or not, they get significant sentences. Well, apply to today. See, you they maggots better be scared. Like, legit. If they catch up, it's like today, lad, laters. <laughs> yeah, so so what's like... And, and drugs, on the other hand, of the sentences have come down a lot in recent years. So oh. they're, 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 it sort of was the case in the past that, yeah, a lot of people would complain because drug offenders were getting really lengthy sentences of, yeah. of imprisonment and people classified yeah, as pedophiles yeah. weren't yeah but that that's certainly shifted in recent years and i think it's going to continue to shift and yeah. and we find um that the law is starting to show a lot more leniency to people charged with drug supply offenses yeah. and i think that's recognizing when did that start last couple years in the last few years yeah, yeah. so traditionally there was i don't know if you've heard of the Clark line of authority, which basically no. said it was this case that said that um, for all matters involving drug tra- trafficking to a substantial degree yeah. or drug supply to a substantial degree, it had to be a sentence of full-time jail. Yeah. And so it was, sort of, it was similar to a kind of mandatory yeah. sentencing scheme. And um, that has changed in recent years and that, that, that line of authority has basically been set aside. And we, we've right. now had some really important cases that have said no, these people, you know, even if it's drug trafficking to a substantial yeah. degree, you can be um, eligible for community-based options such as ICOs. Oh, or really? CCOs. That was actually my last sentence. I copped a bit of a whack, to be honest. I think the, the, the top sentence was um, eight years or eight and a half. And I had like five but on the bottom, but I ended up doing a bit more stuffing around parole. But that was for um, supply. Like it was a bit of an operation. But at the end of the day, we were selling caps. I was selling caps of heroin, selling 50s of heroin, me and a few of the boys. And they ended up getting like so close to 10 years. So like... How many I, years ago was... That's so how I got committed. done in 2012. Okay. Yeah, and got out 2017. Yeah, yeah. so these, this, this change in sentencing yep. has been more recent. Yeah. Um, I'd like to think that if you were sentenced today for the same offence, you would get a shorter sentence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people are still going to jail for serious drug offences. Yeah, yeah, of I, I don't want to give the wrong impression. No, no, of but course. It's just, and so they should. But it's just the the yeah, yeah. the trend has changed somewhat. But I'll tell you this funny yarn, bro. I was a solicitor once. I was legit. I stoned off my guts. <laughs> so what happened is, because I was living down Redfern at the time, um, they'd made the presumption, I don't know why, even though I was in many times before that, they made the presumption, because I lived on Everly Street, that I was indigenous. So someone had ticked that box. Anyway, waiting to go home, had... um. Presumed I was going to go home like usual. What was I in for? Running over, um, running people over in a chase. So hit a copper in a car, whatever, in a hottie, you know? And um, so I thought, yeah, I'm going home. No evidence. The only evidence they had was a police officer positively identified me th- from another vehicle. Right. The whole case was on that, right. right? So I'm thinking like, wait a minute. Someone's driving a hottie down a road at 100. The copper's coming the other way at 50. <laughs> That's a good identification. You know what I mean? The whole case was on that. Yep. Nothing else. So I thought, I'm going to beat it. I want to go home that day. So but when I got there, it was ALS, Aboriginal Legal Service. Mm-hmm. 
and he's looking at me and I'm clearly not Aboriginal. And he's going like, do you have proof? Have you ever given us proof of Aboriginality? I'm like, why would I do that? I'm like Aussie, Spanish. And he's like, oh, I've got to get my mate to represent you, legal aid, do this and that. We'll join it for two weeks. I'm impatient. I'm thinking I'm not copping in German. I said, don't worry about it. I'll represent myself. You don't want to represent me? I'll represent myself. That morning, I was off my guts, bro. I was off my guts. I got Yandi the day before. So I woke up, punched some cones, and I don't handle cones well, right? I don't handle them well. Like, I go a bit weird, you know? <laughs> Plus, I was on the bup at that time. So this is 2006. So I got my bup dose. I'm pumping cones. I rolled some joints for the trucks. And when the <laughs> Anyway, I'm off my guts, right? And um, I'm there representing myself. So I look like a mess. Could barely talk English. I'm in my greens. I'm going, <laughs> I represented myself. So it was me versus these two detectives. And um, I'm, full, I'm full pulling. I really thought, right, that I had a chance of beating it. All right. And um, so they got up there. The whole case, he's there going like, I know it's you. Like this and that. I pulled this stun even because watching TV, you know. And he goes, I, I says to him, I pulled the mathematics out. I go, so the offender was going 100 and you're going 50. That's 150. I don't think this and that. And he looked at me and goes, I know it's you, Anthony. I know you. I've known you for a long time. I full pulled out. Objection, you can't say that. Can he say that? I don't think he can say that. According to TV, he can't say that. You know what I mean? It's not what you know. It's what you think. I pulled that stunt. They had a little chuckle anyway. Got found guilty, as you'd presume. <laughs> <laughs> and um, But I feel like the... The, the judge, she had um, a soft spot for me. She gave me a right little sentence. I got like 18-month top sentence, high-speed pursuit, ran over a couple of people, hit a motorbike head on. It's a good sentence. It's not a bad outcome. Bro, it was a good outcome. And only I think I got 14 months on the bottom. So I was like, bro, like, people get three years for breaking in. I'm here doing Grand Theft Auto, you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, that's my um, extent of um, being a solicitor. Let me ask you this, actually. Mm. Legal aid solicitors... Are they good? Everyone talks them down, bro. Like, everyone's like, bro, I don't use legal aid, this and that. But as far as I know, a legal aid solicitor or, like, you get a grant, right? So the solicitor that you should get should be the same solicitor as if you paid money. Is that true? Okay. So I guess there's there's two different concepts there. There are, there are lawyers who work for the Legal Aid Commission, so they're yep. public servants. They are, although they get a hard time, they are absolutely brilliant most of the time. Oh, really? Okay, that is, they are very competent lawyers. And they're specifically legal aid lawyers. They work yeah, for yeah. the Legal Aid Commission. Yeah, okay, yeah. so like in-house lawyers. Yeah. And the problem is that they're just under-resourced. The government doesn't give the Legal Aid Commission enough money. And yeah. so there's not enough lawyers in too many cases, but it's yeah. got nothing to do with their ability. In C fact, capabilities, yeah. some of the brightest young lawyers really like to go to places like the Legal Aid Commission, like the Aboriginal Legal Service, yeah, because yeah, yeah. they get the most experience on their feet, okay? And, and yeah. these are, you know, often the, the people who are really hungry to end up being barristers yeah. and, and just, I guess, develop professionally. This yeah. is the best opportunity for them. A lot of them also just have really big hearts. They care yeah. about making a difference and they... They want to make sure that the society's most disadvantaged looked after. But yeah, that's, oh, that's, that's definitely that's, not the case. Yeah, that's, that's a myth. Good. Yeah, yeah, That's yeah. a myth that legal aid lawyers are rubbish. Yeah, and, and like you said, like a lot of them are there because they're trying to actually do good. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and help the disadvantaged. Yeah, you're right. But it is definitely a myth. You always hear that, you know what I mean? Oh, you don't use a legal aid lawyer. You can find under... But that leads me into something. This may be hard for you to answer. Maybe you don't want to answer it. Can, I can fully understand if you don't want to answer it, but... What I see going through my life in, in, the, in the system is I have a feeling, Brian, and I, I sort of see it play out. So obviously there's a rapport between the, the, 
defense and the, and the prosecutors, right? In some circumstances, they're even friends. Um, and that's natural for that to happen. He's worked together. Mm-hmm. I have a strong suspicion that it's like they will give people for... It's like they do trades in, in a way that I mean like if there's like a 50-50 case here and there's a 50-50 case there and obviously court processes are long, right? And trials are expensive. And like, so there's always going to be that thing there, that background thing. You're trying to avoid long trials, right? I have a feeling and it, I feel like it's happened to me. It's like a prosecutor will like say to like a, a, a solicitor will go up to a prosecutor and say, listen, like just let's forget this one. And the next matey, remember that matey I have? I'll, I'll get him to play guilty for you. And I'll, you know, I'll get him to play guilty for this, to this deal for you for that one, but you let this one off on this. Does that happen, bro? Come on, it has to. <laughs> bro, you can't say nothing, eh? No, no, I can, I can. I've, I've, yeah. I've certainly never seen it. I've certainly never been a part of that. I, I don't think right. that it happens. I, I can't speak to every single prosecutor yeah, yeah, out yeah. there. I, I don't know. And, and, and every single courtroom, it may be... You know, it may be something that used to happen yeah. with some frequency. But let me tell you this scum then. Let me tell you this scum. I won't say their name, but like I was in jail. The police, they, 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 um, this is, this is legit. So I got locked up. Apparently I stabbed someone. So I'm in for eight months jail. And, um, there's no evidence that I stabbed this person, right? On remand for eight months? On remand for eight months uh-huh. up until this point. So, I go to see my solicitor, right? Or barrister. I can't remember what she was. But she come to Park Lee to visit me. And she goes, oh, what are you going to do about um, the thing? Like, you got to plead guilty. And I said, I'm going to plead not, not guilty. I didn't do it. There's no evidence on me. And she goes, but they got your blood, uh, his blood on your shoes. And the shoes I got arrested in, they were in my cell. So, like, I got arrested, they got taken into my property and put into my jail property, and I, at a specific jail, you can get your shoes out, right? And I said, the shoes I got arrested in, they're in my cell, they're dirty from touch footy. And she goes, nah, nah, see these light blue Nikes? They had his blood on I said, they're not my Nikes. There's a piece of paper there. The police, it was, uh, you know, like, to say that you can take DNA so they can take my clothes. And it had my signature on it, but these weren't my shoes, right? And anyway, I'm going to cut this short. It's fully shown that they weren't my shoes they took photos of me when i got arrested had asics on had asics on at the cop shop had asics on there so she goes oh like it, it was clear they were never my shoes i don't know how that signature got on that piece of paper so she went to this place where they hold the evidence right and um she went and sussed the shoes out and they were size nine female and i was at that time size 13 male way off way off right and she knew at that point that the coppers had forge my signature on a piece of paper to say they took them off my feet because it's a complete impossibility and it's shown. So I'm thinking, yeah, we're going home. I'm going home. Like Good I'm, case for a jury. That's if right. The shoe doesn't fit, I quit. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And um, so I'm cheering. Not only am I knowing I'm going yeah. home, but I'm thinking that's it. Like we, I can finally prove these coppers lied and they've done it to me all the time, right? King's Cross detectives. And um, we get to trial. So I'm bouncing around, thinking I'm going to get all this money, these coppers, these lawyers, whatever, however it happens, you know. Mm. Um, and she comes down with a plea deal. So it was, it was uh, robbery uh, with the intent to wound, GBH with the intent and robbery. So it's a bad charge, you know what I mean? She comes down, she goes, oh, they're willing to drop it if you, you know, take a, take a plea and you plead guilty. Like, what are you talking about? Do you remember like how they lied? And she goes, oh, yeah, all right, you're right, you're right. 
She goes back up <laughs> and she comes down. She's full trying to verbal me to plead guilty. Then when I'm full arguing with her, she mm. goes to me, um, oh, the, the victim, so they're going to give you a no bill. It's good news because the victim, he's committed suicide. I'm not trying to make comedy out of that, whatever. She knew the whole time. So not only did she know, like this is what I'm, this is what you deal with as an inmate. Like I don't know what solicitors you, you like you saying must have been the good ones. Not only does she know that's not my shoe, and therefore I couldn't have signed that piece of paper, but she knows that this bloke's not even alive, but still tries to get me to take a plea. Why wouldn't she come down and say, "Let's fight these police"? Or guess what? You're going home. What's this trying to play? Anyway, I'm trying to paint you the circumstances. You don't need to comment on that, but I'm just trying to give you the background of why I think that way. No, I can, I can understand that, and there definitely are cases like that. I think that's a really extreme example. Yeah, and that's. I mean, there are definitely case, plenty of cases where the lawyers might be, perhaps for laziness, cutting yeah. corners making mistakes, not doing the job properly. But yeah. what you're talking about there is actually Scumbag serious materials. misconduct. Yeah, I mean, mother. that's that's that would be complaint I know her worthy. name. I know your name. Nah, it's not a fit, yeah. but relax. I know your name, but... Um. <laughs> I, I'd like to think that that doesn't happen a lot. I can't... Yeah. And I'm not here to defend the legal yeah, yeah. profession in yeah, general. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a lot of bad lawyers out there, yeah. but I'd, I'd like to think that that's rare. Yeah, yeah. But let me ask you, what do you think of... The, the the system in do you have an opinion like the the prison system the correctional system how do you how do you see it like do you see it as, as something good like do you see that it helps people i think that it's a very complicated issue and i'm yeah. i'm not a criminologist i'm, yeah, I'm you yeah, know yeah. i'm not an expert i can only speak about sort of the experience that i've had and, mm -hmm. and what i've seen but in my opinion based on that experience I think generally speaking, it's a failure. Yeah. I mean, if you want to sort of measure its success by how it achieves its stated goals, it just doesn't really do very Which well. It's a fair measurement, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, just look at, for example, recidivism, you know, the rate by which people return to prison. Yeah. It's really high. I think in New South Wales, it's about 45%. Yeah. Um, and in some states, it's even higher. In Northern Territory, 60%. People uh, return to jail within two years of leaving. No way. So that in and of itself, I think, is enough to say that it's not working. Yeah. You then look at other problems with the prison system, over-representation of Indigenous people. Mm -hmm. you, you can't speak about the jail system without speaking about that. Yeah. I mean, it is True. just disgraceful yeah. how badly um, the justice system works for Indigenous people and yeah, yeah. and the extent to which they're overrepresented. Um, oh, other nationalities definitely. as well, but to a lesser extent. Yeah, definitely to a lesser extent. Like... And I can tell you that firsthand and being part of like the Corizian jail is, is the way I grew up. And it's like, bro, like if you're in a city, when you're in public, depends what area you're in, you barely ever see Corys. Barely ever. They're like 2% of the population. You've got to go to specific yeah. areas and you see some of the brothers and stuff like that. In jail, I'm telling you, in Sydney jails, they are a large majority. I think in, in New South Wales, it's about thirty percent. Yep, yep. So like they're the they're the the biggest like race in most jails you go to, even in Sydney. If you go to a country jail, it's like pick pick the other person. You know what I mean? There's like two islanders in a corner, Alebo there, four white people, and there's just quarries. You know what I mean? And, and in other states, it's worse. Northern Territory, Western Australia, it's even higher. Dead set. So. The system's failed miserably when mm. it comes to Indigenous people. Yeah. 
Um, and I think just also the, this is, I guess, speaking to my values, yeah. I just see a, a moral issue with imprisoning non-violent offenders. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think like, for example, although it has changed in recent yeah. years, we still are locking up a large number of people for non-violent drug yeah. offences. Yeah. And, and petty thieves. Petty thieves, petty property yep. crime. You know, yep. most of the people that commit these crimes were never really given much of a chance at life. Mm. And, you know, it's, it's a bit of a cliche, but they say six, six societies produce six citizens. Well, that's what we have. And, and the jail's full of them. Yeah. And so why should we lock up and expose people to all of the brutality of incarceration yep. for problems that are far more systemic? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Because it don't matter what level of crime that they're in for and when they eventually get sentenced and eventually get classified, they're all well in the same jail. Like you're all in the same process. doesn't matter if you're going in for stealing a mobile phone or you're going in for murdering three people. You're in the same cells. You're in yeah, the same so truck. Especially on remand, right? Yeah, so and, then, and then to the same jail. And like you get four months. Like your cell is there and it's like he's in for three murders and you're in for like stealing a phone and you're just in the same cell and that's why that's one of the reasons why it fails at yeah. rehabilitating most inmates because people go into jail mm -hmm. they may have committed an offense but it's you know it's their first time yeah, yeah. They haven't really been exposed to serious criminal elements but that's all they see in yeah, jail 100%. they learn how to be better criminals they, they okay. lose hope even further and they come out and it normalizes that those 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 types Absolutely. of people and those crimes it normalizes to them and they get out with i even found that the very first time i went to boys homes and i'm, I'm not, not criticizing boys homes or anything but and it's like i speak about in the book it's like uh, I, I was a bad kid yeah all right went to boys homes and it's like in boys homes just as with all sorts of kids for all sorts of things there's just one boys home and then when i got to boys homes it's like i got out of boys homes normalize like oh that's how i'm supposed to be so i'm gonna go back to my area as like a boys home kid you, you know what i mean and i know it's a it's a child a childish scenario but there's people adults that think like that like they're, they're just thieves or whatever you know and they go to jail and they come out and it's like they've got that mentality now so that they've got to be tough and hard and, they, and, it, and it makes them level up you All know right. i'm speaking like as the the perspective of i know and you're gonna understand a lot of these people um easy to manipulate you know what I mean? You can imagine a lot of the types of people that go to jail and the backgrounds they have. A lot of them are easy to manipulate. Like they get out and these people are talking about meeting matey down at Arncliffe to pick up a whole batch of this and this and that. It's like, lad, you were doing credit cards the other day. And it's like, yeah, but I met the boys in Silverwater. That's right. And you know that, what I mean? And like, that's why legit. ordinarily people sort of graduate to more serious crimes when they come out. Yeah. And that's, that's I think, symbolic of the... Of the failure that yeah. is our prison system. Yeah, yeah, but it is a, it is a hard like conversation though. It is dealing yeah, with yeah. the alternatives is yeah. is the hard part. But we have, we do actually have alternatives that exist that have shown better rates of rehabilitation. You know, community based options, and of course they're not appropriate for every kind yeah. of offence. For murder, it's not you know, of it's course. never going to be the case that yeah. people can serve their sentence in the community. But yeah. for non-violent offences, I think in most of the case, it's it's the best way to go about it. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you something, Bar. I've always wondered this. These thing, uh, these apps that people use, right? So obviously, during this, I've been out now five years and haven't had to be a criminal, right? These things didn't exist now, but I know a lot of criminals, like nearly all my mates, you know what I mean, and they're doing whatever they're doing, they're busy, this and that. And they're like, have you got this app? 
have you got this up? You've got to get this up, bro. You can like, are these things legit? Like, is there any secure way to talk on a phone? I'm not saying for you to say this like you're teaching them a lesson or something, but like, is it realistic? Or are people just going to court all the time because they talked on WhatsApp or they talked on Wicca? Or, is it, or are they just these magical free platforms that you can just blatantly do crime? Short answer is the apps work. All right. Long answer is phones, phone calls and SMS has always been one of the main ways that police I investigate crimes. Yeah. yeah, I learned. And it's often the most powerful evidence that we'll see hmm. in a brief of evidence. Um, and for that reason, people have wised up and they've started using encrypted communications applications. So even just WhatsApp has end-to-end -end encryption and yeah. so the police aren't able to actually intercept it. Oh, no way. Yeah, and and there are other popular ones, Wicca, Signal, Telegram. Even just WhatsApp? Even WhatsApp. However, yeah. I should put the caveats in as a good lawyer. So yeah. um, with WhatsApp, the communications stay, generally speaking, they stay on your device. They're actually, yeah. I think WhatsApp's just about to introduce a function that puts like the timer. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware, but in some of these apps like telegram or wiki you can put like a five second timer on so yeah, yeah. automatically deletes, deletes yeah. right if you don't do that and if your communications are still on the phone if the cops arrest you and seize your phone they, they're going to get all the yeah, messages yeah, so it doesn't yeah, matter yeah. if they couldn't intercept them while you're actually mm. in in real-time communication they will get the full chat yeah okay yeah, yeah so course. it's not fully secure in yeah. that sense if the if the communication just remember is still to on. keep the timer on always use that seat <laughs> and um the, the other qualification i'll give is that um, in very serious cases, the police actually have sort of a backdoor way into getting into your phones and they can basically read everything that's happening on your phone. But that's not common, okay? So, Terrorist-related stuff and that. Uh, Terrorist-related. Yeah. Um, in, in theory, they can do it for a range of serious offences, yeah. but um, it's still very secretive. We don't know a lot about it. It's a, yeah. it's a fairly new development. It's very controversial. Really? And, um, it's, and that would be like... Regardless of what app you're on or what you're doing, they just see your screen. Correct. Like a yeah. screencast. They're, they're basically inside your phone. They're basically inside the yep. phone. Yeah, but again, yeah. I don't see a lot of that. Yeah, um, yeah. That's that's very rare. We we more deal with um, the the main way that police get their hands on encrypted communications is when they seize your phone. Because once yeah. they seize your phone, they get everything. Yep. Even iPhones. They can crack iPhones now. They couldn't in the past, but they can now. They can crack iPhones yep. now. Yep. I love this conversation. What a com <laughs> like legit. This yeah. is like they can crack iPhones now. All so right. normally when they arrest you and they take your phone, they'll ask for your PIN, right? Yep. Most people not knowing their rights, they'd give them the PIN. I'm talking about state police. Federal yep. police have always had the power to require you to give the PIN. Yep. But state coppers, no. All right? So um, they'll ask you. If you give them the PIN, you stuffed up, game yeah. over. Yeah. But if you knew your rights and you didn't give them the PIN, the cops wouldn't be able to get into an iPhone. Yep. That's changed in about the last nine to 12 months. Cops right. are now cracking Is that because Apple are compl more complicit or because they got more technology? It's funny. I'm not even sure yeah. because the police officers themselves are not told. Oh, it's really? very secretive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, the police force knows yep. they have the technology, but the everyday police officers involved in the investigation, they, no they don't idea. even know. Yeah, okay, yeah. They just send it to where it's got to go, yeah. it's cracked, and then they'll get what's called the, the Cellbrite report, which has all of the contents of the phone, all of your messages, all of your notes, yep. all of your photos, everything. Deleted stuff? Deleted stuff too, yeah. So that chucks a spanner in the works of those apps, maybe this? No, not, 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 not those the apps. apps, no. Oh, yeah, right. yeah. Let me ask you one of the last types of these questions, right? because I'm really interested, I think it's important. Sure. And this is a common um, 
circumstance, non-criminal people, right? Not trying to be here giving the info to, to criminals. It's just applies to all of us. I've been in this circumstance even in the last five years where I haven't been doing crime. But someone says to you, bro, can you get this? Yeah, I do know people who can get steroids. Yeah, I do know someone that sells cocaine. And I do know someone that sells pot. And so someone says to you, like, well, can you get this for me in a message? Can you get me um, two bottles of test and a bottle of um, Dyna Bowls? And you say, yeah, I'll ask my mate. And your mate says, yeah, yeah, I'll get them for him. And then you tell the bloke back, yeah, he said, sweet, it's 250 bucks. Do you want to, do you want his number? Do you want me to get it for you or what? What? Are you a criminal? Are you a drug dealer? Do you go to jail for that stuff? I'll come back to the jail part, but yeah, yeah that's a crime. That's so a crime, even yeah. though you think you might be sort common, of doing a favour, and you might, yeah. you might in that example you gave, you might not even be getting paid at all, but no, that, that doesn't matter. You're yeah. still considered to be the middleman in, in a drug supply. So facilitating. Yeah, absolutely. If you if you put two people together for the purpose of facilitating a drug transaction, you're guilty of supply. Really? Yeah. Even just spearing a number. What about that? It's just, uh, if it is with the intention of facilitating drug supply, then you are what's called knowingly taking part yeah. in drug supply. See, this, this is important for people to know. I can guarantee you so many people who don't consider themselves criminals and have never had a charge have done that in the last year, you know? So yeah, I think, I, think, I think it's a common misunderstanding that we yeah. have that we, you know, when clients come and see us, a lot of people think that drug supply just means hand, literally handing yeah. over drugs for money. And profiting, but, yeah. And profiting, yeah. but supply is very broad. Yeah. Even just going to a festival, you take in five pills and you give three of them away, that's drug supply. Yeah. doesn't matter if it's for free, just giving them to your mate, giving them to your girlfriend, doesn't matter, that's supply. Yeah. Now, the penalty will depend on sort of the seriousness of the conduct. Yeah. Obviously, if you're selling it, it's a lot more serious than just yeah. sharing it with your mates and there's been some cases where people have shared drugs with their friends and they've had no conviction recorded in fact i've had plenty of cases like that yeah but it's still it's still a crime yeah yeah, yeah. but you see often many cases of you know we're talking before about police corruption and and stuff like that do you are you do you see many cases are you involved in any cases like that at the moment police corruption happens i don't think yep. it's as common as people think and i you know i a lot of our clients are very quick to accuse the police of, you know, being corrupt and conspiring against them, and and usually that's not the case. But we do have the occasional example of of corruption. I had a big police corruption case about, well, would have been about a decade ago, where mm -hmm. there were two corrupt cops out at Liverpool, Anglo guy and a Lebanese Australian guy. Yep. And they were sort of partners out at the at the police station, and they were working for one of the local crims out that way. Oh no way! And to that extent, yeah. yeah. And so what that crim would do would be to tell them, oh yeah, so my competitor's moving. This oh, he's got this deal sad. planned at this yep. this location at this time, and then they would go arrest them, seize the drugs or seize the whatever it was. In this case, it was generally illegal tobacco. Yeah. Take it, give it to their master the criminal oh bullshit they give it to him yep yep and so they're just full doing arm robbery. oh no it was proper it was proper corruption. that's just arm robbery then <laughs> yeah so how i came to be involved in it was my client was one of the competitors and he was seriously involved in the illegal tobacco trade he was in a truck that was being driven with a very large amount of illegal tobacco mm -hmm. and the cops had been tipped off the corrupt cops they come they you know, they're pretending to be cops. They're in uniform, show their badge, everything. And 
they told my client to just leave and they then seized all of the tobacco, you know, purportedly a lawful seizure. But instead of um, taking it back to the police station and yep. entering it in as an exhibit, they uh, they took it to my client's competitor, okay, the yep. criminal that they were working for. And what happened was, unfortunately, because my client is from the Lebanese community as well, yep. that night he was able to locate the corrupt cop, went round to his house, boys went round to his house, yep. went with the, a gun um, and told him basically that he would have to change allegiances. And yeah, from the yeah, next yeah. day, that corrupt cop started working for my client. No way. <laughs> and then they started doing the similar thing, but with other competitors, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. The problem was, what was then the Police Integrity Commission um, was tapping all of their phones. So all of these communications were being listened to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then eventually the, they swooped and everybody was arrested. The corrupt cops, the criminals that no they were way. working for, absolutely everybody, yeah. So it happens, but it's not common. Did the cops go to jail? The cops went to jail. My client didn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, my nice. client. But nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, most, most people in that, in, that, yeah. uh, in that racket went to jail. Yeah, bro. So let me ask you a bit, to wrap it up. What, what do you enjoy the most out of, out of doing your job? Like what makes you feel good? I think that it'd have to be getting a good result for clients, mm-hmm. especially when custody's involved. So... Yeah keeping someone out of jail i think that doesn't get much better yeah and sometimes it might be something that seems pretty minor might seem sort of minor to you but it can have a really profound effect on the rest of their lives you know someone who has made a mistake and they're going to be sentenced and you want to have no conviction recorded for them yeah that sparing them a, a criminal conviction may mean that they can then go on to get the job that they always wanted to get. For sure. And can just have all these, uh, no, there's all these ripple yeah. effects. Changes that, their life, yeah. That yeah. will be transformative for them. Yeah. Do you ever have, saying that, do you, just before we wrap up, do you ever have like sometimes a conflict within yourself? Do you think sometimes you do your job a bit too well and maybe someone... I think that... That's a really common question. Yeah. So like nine times out of 10, if, if I tell somebody that I'm a criminal lawyer, the first yep. question they'll ask me is something along those lines. Oh, really? Yeah. But I think it's, and I, and I totally understand where they're coming yeah. from, but it is really based on, I think, a misunderstanding of, I guess, what how the criminal justice system works and yeah. what, what our role is in that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for, for in terms of the criminal justice system, again, most people aren't, aren't murderers. They're not rapists. Yep. Um we're dealing with minor crimes mm. for the scheme of things. Yeah. And so they're not crimes that really demand yeah. huge community outrage or people to be locked away for long periods of time. Yeah, 100%. And then dealing with our role, you know, our, our role is not to get up to the court and lie and yeah. lie on behalf of our client. Or, you know, we don't have, I think people have this misunderstanding that maybe clients come to us and say, Oh, I just stabbed my girlfriend. Can you help get me off? It doesn't work yeah, that yeah, way. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. We, 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 if, if they tell us that they've, committed the crime we don't get up in court and say that they've committed the crime in fact most of our job in that sense is actually reading the evidence and then persuading the client why it's in their best interest to plead guilty yeah okay so that they can get the benefits of pleading guilty yeah yeah yeah. um we we can't lie on behalf of our client and those those cases where they do go to trial or go to a defended hearing they're cases where we do think that our clients are not guilty and in 
most of those cases we're successful. All the charges deserve to be a bit less. Or well, yeah, well that's yeah. for that's that's for charge negotiations. Yeah. You know, there's often police will overcharge. They yeah. might charge you with Always. charges that are far more serious than the actual conduct yeah. involved, or they might charge you with three different charges for the yeah. same yeah. act. Yeah. And then your your job is to negotiate so that the outcome's appropriate. Yeah, nice fella. Sounds hectic. Hey, I really, honestly, genuinely enjoyed that conversation. Never had to have a, never got to have a conversation like that. I learned a lot of stuff. Yeah, thank thank you. you. No, thank you for having me, and congrats on the podcast. These are really important conversations you're having. Mad, brother. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you.